You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies. We're reviewing another Marvel movie. Bane is a character from DC, but his name describes our existence. Reviewing Marvel movies. Hey, it's the bane of our existence. That's what that song was about. We have to review these Marvel movies. It's actually not. I like talking about Marvel movies. I don't necessarily like Marvel movies or all of Marvel movies or I don't know. It's complicated. We'll figure it out. I didn't like that Black Widow very much. Nah, but it was fun to talk about. It was fun to talk about. And now we get to talk about, I've been advised it's pronounced Shang-Chi, Chi, a movie that is doing gangbuster box office. It's the and first movie in uh, theaters worth going to the theater for. Well, it makes me so happy because Suicide Squad laid an egg and everyone was like, oh, it must have been COVID because obviously everyone would like to see this awesome movie. Well, it wasn't. People just don't actually, our, our society isn't so degraded that everybody just wants to see violent shock that, shock that hates itself all the yeah. time. It turns out yeah. people like things that are fun and uplifting yeah. and Shang-Chi may or may not be a good version of fun and but uplifting. That, but, but that is Marvel's brand, and so, and it's a mm-hmm. new character. And Whereas DC's brand is, we hate ourselves and you, and we don't know what we're doing. Yep. And that's, it turns out that's a, that's a less good brand. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let me just introduce this podcast. Speaking of brands, our brand is Sanity at the Movies, and a man who... I'm guessing has never been branded or done any branding, like in terms of like cattle. Right. That's right. <laughs> His name is Benjamin J. Solzer, the preacher who's a teacher of cinema. Here I am. Here you are. Here I stand. The only thing you do is stand with great. Here I here I sit. I can do no other. Here, well, than I talk mean, about you, Marvel I movies. I mean, you could get up and walk out. <laughs> he's too principled nathan yeah, i'm too principled that's why <laughs> yeah, I, mean, wow. I guess martin luther could have gotten up and done something yeah. else too but yeah but ben like martin luther is a man of high principle a man of principle and we're yes. here to talk about shang chi for goodness sake yeah a movie of high principle yes or, or something or something <laughs> <laughs> oh man this is this one's gonna be fun to talk about but Ben, we can't talk about it until we introduce the pastor who's a master of cinema. You mean, you don't mean Jake Menzel, do you? <laughs> I do. How did, ever did you guess? I don't know, but I did. It's Jake. Hi, Jake. It's me. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Jake. Well, guys, for the 4,895th time, we... But not the last. But not the mm. last. We, we're we hopeful, though. <laughs> the end is... Yeah, I don't know. There's light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah. No, there's not. No, there's not. There's not light at the end of the tunnel. We will do Eternals because it stands between us and the Spider-Man movie, which we are all definitely going to do. And then there's going to be the Doctor Strange movie. And then we're going we'll to have Eternals. to make decisions about... Yeah, we'll do Eternals. So then we'll have to make decisions about the new Thor movie and about... But, but maybe Eternals will actually have a big lesbian scene or something and we'll be like, oh, we're out. We can't do this anymore. Yeah, great. and then we'll Wouldn't definitely not do the Spider-Man movie. Come Jake. on. Oh, they, they've just got us hook, line, and sinker. We got to keep doing them. And if the Spider-Man movie promises that we're going to see more Spider-Man stuff in Doctor Strange, I mean, I just don't see, I don't see the end. Yeah, I can't, I can't, can't deny it. Can't deny it. But they always they, promise the, something they don't give. The end for my kids just came with, with Endgame. Right. So Marvel's over. Yep. It's a clean but cut, clean break. 
Really? You, they we'll won't prob- see the new Spider-Man movie? They'll see the Spider-Man movie. Okay. But, Unless there's something egregious about it, which there won't be. Right. <laughs> but that, that'll that be it. They're not, they're not going to see the Doctor Strange movie. They're not going to see. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Well, it is one of those things where pretty universally when a Marvel movie comes out, the people of a certain age like at our church plan are talking about it. So I feel like it's still worth talking about. But yep. I mean, they are the premier brand right now. There just there isn't anything. DC, as Suicide Squad proves, just does not even come close. There may be some individual properties like Aquaman that people are fond of for whatever insane reason because that movie sucked. But everybody liked it. Actually, I liked Aquaman. Aquaman, fine. It was I'm not fine. Sure, it was I'm not fun. sure where that yeah, anger came from. I was, most... I was like, oh, I didn't know you felt that way about Aquaman. Yeah, it's kind of the only actually fun DC movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think I feel that way more about Jason Momoa. I just don't think he's much of a charismatic star. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit of a zero. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Aquaman or Jason Momoa. We're here to talk about the incredibly charismatic, not at all a zero, guy who plays Shang-Chi or whatever. Simu Lu. Simu Lu. And I'm being maybe 40% sarcastic because he is... Not that charismatic, I don't think, but he's fine. He's okay. He's okay. I think he's I think he's charming and pretty magnetic, actually. They just didn't write a character for him to play. It would yeah, I, I blame the movie, not him. It would really yeah. help if he had a character to play. Uh, I like well, watching hey. him on screen. Mm-hmm. And let's talk or go, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I mean, the cast they built around him didn't do him any favors. Yes, that's that's the problem is there there is one person who has the magnetic pull of a thousand suns mm-hmm. in this movie yep. and it's aquafina no that's a that's that's <laughs> not true at all no it's she it's, exists in this movie because they were insecure about whether or not he could carry the yeah the the screen and she gets in his way as much as anything in my humble opinion but you know i don't know maybe i'm just a crusty conservative that <laughs> I, well, I have thoughts about that, but I'll save them. Yeah, we'll get to it. Uh, Let let me give some very brief context as to the history of Shang-Chi because it's actually kind of interesting. So you have to understand the yellow peril. The fact that- Fu Manchu. Yeah, you have to understand the fact that people were really scared of China (laughs) in the late 1800s and early 20th century. People were really scared of China. And I think, I don't know, we don't have to litigate this today, but I think we felt bad because we brought a bunch of Chinese over. You can read all about this, but there was the Burlingame Treaty with China in 1868, which encouraged the, what, we're not supposed to call them this now, but the Coolie Movement. It it encouraged a bunch of cheap Chinese labor to come over. It's kind of like if anybody's ever read East of Eden, the character of Lee in that book, or... You know, if you've seen a Western and it has the Chinese people that are building the railway railways yep. or you see some old tiny, tiny, tiny movie where they, you know, they go to Chinese Chinatown and there's an opium den and it's all mysterious and everything. You kind of had that culture where we brought a whole ton of really cheap Chinese labor over and they were able to undercut all of our fine American workers which means that everybody looked down on them, but they were actually helping our industries grow. This is in the late 1800s and helping us build railways and something and, and stuff. 
And so you have a lot of racism and a lot of just the working man feeling undercut by the fact that we're bringing in all this Chinese labor. You have that, but then you have the actual reality that they are, we are, they are bringing this creepy pagan Eastern culture with them that's pretty godless. And so it's a little bit like when people look back on McCarthyism, you know, and they try and make it all like McCarthy was the worst. He was this terrible demagogue. It's like, okay, maybe he was, but you can never forget that there actually was this thing called communism and it was sweeping across the world and it was really scary. You have to put that in the equation before you judge Joseph McCarthy. And by the same token, yeah, we we really mistreated the Chinese and there's there's no there's no gussying it up as anything else. But they were bringing a pagan culture over and there were things that were bad and there was sex that was associated with that and there was opium and drug use that was associated with that and there there were reasons that people felt like there was a yellow peril which is actually a phrase that not, not a phrase that historians have gone back and put on the way that we understood those times it's actually a phrase that was bandied about at the turn of the 20th century because mm-hmm. we were really scared of chinese invasion of Eastern dominance of, you know, there's just like this mysterious culture that we don't understand that is just lurking out there. And they send us cheap labor and we have these various treaties, but we really don't understand them. And, you know, I mean, there's a whole history with Britain and everything. I'm talking about it more from the American perspective here, but, you know, you've got Britain and Hong Kong and every. Anyways, out of that comes a lot of interesting invasion literature and stuff like that. And one of the best things to come out of it, or or just most fun pulpy things, was a series of novels by Sax Romer called the Fu Manchu novels. And I have read several of these actually in in the old days when I was really into pulp stuff. And they're really fun. They're really fun. I mean, they're really racist. Like Fu Manchu (laughs) is this evil, plotting, scheming Chinese supervillain, kind of a Moriarty type who's he's just always like oh no the archduke is being targeted they're gonna release you know poisonous scorpions into his bedroom (laughs) we'll get there and then we'll you know he's he's in league with the tugs so we're gonna have like a tuggy assassin and he's gonna attack us and you know all kinds of stuff and you know the stalwart whatever his name is like the sherlock holmes type guy and the dr watson type guy they're always like racing around london foiling fu manchu's schemes and i remember one where they get locked in a basement with these poisonous mushrooms fu manchu is like the king of the the james bond thing that austin powers made fun of so much where you know we're not gonna actually just shoot the our adversary we're gonna hook him up to a machine with lasers or in this case put him in a basement with these deadly mushrooms that are going to release a spore and he's going to mm-hmm. start getting sick so <laughs> the heroic Nayland smith has to fight his way out of the basement and all this kinds of stuff and it's just it's really great pulp it's so much fun it, for me it's more fun than sherlock holmes or something like that because sherlock holmes is always like solving these mysteries which which is fun but i like the more pulpy like they're getting attacked by assassins and yeah i don't know did you ever read any fu manchu by any I, chance i started reading one i oh i found a random audiobook of fu manchu on librivox mm-hmm. free audiobooks and i started listening to it or or something like that right it was fun but no that's as far as I got. Yeah, it's, they're well. In any case, they're they're very fun and very 
xenophobic. Like, <laughs> I mean, there's no two ways about it. Is there, we don't have much sympathy for. Oh man, any, we don't have really any sympathy for Chinese culture. It's just this mysterious thing that's invading and wants to destroy us. And I don't even know that Fu Manchu is portrayed as not a function of his government. Like, I, I think Fu Manchu is just working for the Chinese. He's not like off on his own huh. doing anything like that. So in any case, what happened was Marvel was a thing that made comics in the 20th century. You guys have heard of Marvel, right? Heard of it. And they decided so. they decided that they wanted to actually license the Fu Manchu novels. And this was around the time that Bruce Lee was hitting real big, that all the sort of chop Saki movies in the 70s, all, all the kind of exploitation films with Kung Fu and stuff like that were were happening. Shaw Brothers. You, you can listen to me and Ben actually give a history basically of martial arts cinema in perhaps a poorly named but actually pretty good episode of this very podcast called... Ramble in the Bronx. We needed a punny title, folks. We did, and we got it. Yeah. And boy, did we get it. Should we have called it Shanghai Quality Episode that you should totally listen to? Probably. Should we have called it... I don't know, what's another punny... Uh, mm. Enter the best martial arts podcast you've ever heard. Yeah. Shall listen to this <laughs> Shall listen to this podcast. Something like that. Yeah, we, there's all kinds of things we should have called it, but we, been better. we called it Ramble in the Bronx. And I think mostly we called it Ramble in the Bronx because that was one Kung Fu movie that I thought most people would know, or at least have seen the VHS and Blockbuster if they come from my <laughs> my generation. Yeah. Talking about my generation. So anyway. Marvel Studios, so you can actually listen to a history of all that stuff. But basically, Bruce Lee hit it really big, and he's making these films in Hong Kong, also in America, and in a lot of co-productions, which is, I think, what Enter the Dragon is between Hong Kong and America. Hong Kong, if you don't know, was under British rule until 1997. It's a very westernized culture, but it also is... What's the word? It's it combines a lot of Eastern and Western influences because it's and it had a great cinema scene. I think it's basically dying now that it's under direct Chinese control. It got handed over to the Chinese in 1997, and China's a pretty dark, evil place. I M H O and pretty oppressive and pretty restrictive. But historically, through the 20th century, Hong Kong had a great cinema scene. And they were very influential in the international action film market. And there were different phases can, of that. Oh, go ahead. You can see now all the pressure that China is putting on its stars to disown Hong Kong. And yeah. You saw that stuff happen with Mulan and a lot of pressure has been brought to bear on Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan himself is actually pretty much sold out Hong Kong. Jackie Chan's become a show for the Communist Party. He literally yeah. gave, a, gave a speech within the last few months where he said he wished he could be a party member. Like, wouldn't it be cool? Jackie Chan in his older age has just become a mascot for the the Chinese yeah, Communist and they Party. Still, and they're still basically going to cancel him, this is what it looks yeah. like. Mm. So it Man. just doesn't matter. Yeah. But Hong Kong had this flourishing before China, had this, and, and a little bit after, because it took a while for Chinese can, to really exert their control. And they will still claim that Hong Kong is somewhat independent, but Anyone who knows what they're talking about says that's just not true. But in, in any case, there was this flourishing Hong Kong film industry that basically 
has been ahead of the curve on action cinema through the latter, latter half of the 20th century. So you had the Shaw Brothers studio studios, which did early 70s sort of, how did we decide this is pronounced? The floaty martial arts epics? Wuxia. Wuxia. Wuxia films, which are very corny by today's standards. And then Bruce Lee hit big, and suddenly we had a million Bruce Lee movies and Bruce Lee ripoffs. And it's pretty hilarious. The exploitation market is shameless on the international scene. So when Bruce Lee died, you had Bruce Lie and Bruce Lee spelled L-I. And you had like all these guys. And Booth Lee. And Booth Lee, yeah. <laughs> really? You had all these fake Bruce Lees that did other Bruce Lee movies. So anyways, when something's popular, especially in the international film market, they'll just churn out all these things. So you had a million bad kung fu movies, some of which are pretty fun. And one of which we tried to watch, which is what turned into our ramble of the in the Bronx episode. Which an is old Jackie Chan. An old Jackie Chan Drunken movie. Drunken Master. The original Drunken Master, mm-hmm. which is pretty slow and corny by today's standards, but has yeah. a lot of cool stuff Yeah, if you like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, which we discovered, Jake. Does, did not. Did not like that sort of thing. Not not a big Drunken Master fan. Jake, this is your nope. big chance to give all your thoughts on Jackie Chan's original Drunken Master. Uh, I didn't care about it. Didn't care That's about it. it. So I'm sorry. I've sort of veered into a, a history of film. Let me let me close that loop, and then we'll get back to Marvel. So Hong Kong Hong Kong cinema. We had the the Bruce Lee influenced martial arts movies through the 70s. Then we had what's called the heroic bloodshed movies of the 80s. That's John Woo was the big progenitor of that kind of stuff. And so those are the movies where guys are wearing sunglasses and they're diving through the air and they're pumping a million bullets from their double pistols into their adversaries in slow motion in in slow motion while doves fly while doves fly and you know as far as guy movie type things you really can't do much better and hugely influential you know die hard is downwind of that all the kind of 90s actiony you know michael bay stuff is downwind of of that basically america yeah down, downwind, yeah. <laughs> well, what's that smell? <laughs> maybe oh, I, it's John Woo. <laughs> maybe I was making a, really a comment. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I was making a comment. Maybe I did it intentionally. No, maybe actually, John Woo, John Woo, very violent, hyper violent. Just uh, millions of guys running out just to get mowed down by machine gun, and thousands of squibs and blood everywhere, and all in slow motion and very balletic and but hugely influential and basically everything from die hard on is from that well because the americans were like whoa they are way ahead of us in terms of depicting senseless violence in an entertaining way and so they were but that whole cycle kind of runs through the 80s and early 90s and then you have a man named zoo hark I think that's how you say Sue, Zoo. I, I, I never knew how to pronounce it. But he brings back the what was very popular in the 70s, which were the wuxia films. And wuxia is a genre of literature, actually. And it's kind of like our fantasy novels. You know, there's a million kind of Tolkien, downwind of Tolkien novels. Well, they have their own genre of stuff kind of set in their medieval their equivalent of like fantasy medieval land and it always involves martial artists who are super powered and can float around and there's a whole literary genre that's been through the 20th century 
and they started making films in the 70s. But then in the 90s, they had the technology to really do it. And so you could hook people up to wires and you could have them float around and you, you could have them do really fancy kung fu stuff. Once Upon a chi- Time in China is one of the mainstays of of that genre one of the first one of, one of the ones to watch i mean i don't know it probably has naughty stuff i don't really yeah, remember he, he, actually the first one of those came out in 91 mm-hmm. i don't think the first two have naughty stuff but they're just they're weird yeah they're i don't know that you'd be particularly entertained i i would i i would be entertained by them the, yeah the first two have some really famous and very intricate scenes right so it's like what's an example of a scene it's it's Jet Li there's there's a very famous and very long ladder fight scene mm-hmm. where Jet Li is inside some kind of warehouse fighting another guy and they're fighting there there's there's these wooden ladders everywhere it seems and they're bouncing back and forth from ladder to ladder and it's 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 incredibly elaborate it's like 7 minutes of this fight right i i don't know how else to describe it it's been it's been copied by certain I, well, okay. oh, sure. Well, it's it's been copied. I don't know. I can't think of an American. Oh, there was some terrible garbage sword fight. The Musketeer, right? Ripped off the ladder fight. No one saw that. That was garbage. But it was released in the American market. Mm-hmm. That's that's the only that's the the only example that comes right to mind. Yeah, well, the real thing that happens is in 1999, The Matrix comes out, and then in 2000, I think it is mm-hmm. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon comes out, and so yeah. we dumb Americans are suddenly aware of, there's this thing called, as we would say, wire foo, mm-hmm. and you hook people up to wires, and you make them float around, and they can do all this really cool stunt work and stuff like that, but suddenly it becomes a big thing here and you've got Charlie's angels doing it and all this kind of dumb stuff. And it feeds into what becomes the Marvel house style and what becomes Zack Snyder's style. And, you know, it it is modern action is downstream or downwind, depending on how you feel about it of Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kong, but the, but the sad thing is Hong Kong hasn't really been influential since the early two thousands. They still have a robust film market. It's just, it's just not the same now that it's essentially under Chinese communist control. And uh, if you want to make lots of money, that's not where you'd, you know, if you're really talented, why would you stay somewhere where you're afraid that they're going to steal all your assets? So, yep, capitalism for the win. Anyway, that's the Hong Kong film market. It's important because that's what Shang-Chi is doing. Shang-Chi is, is referencing all these things. It is, in a, in a sense, its own wuxia film i mean that's very much the opening scene with tony leung and the girl falling in love as they have this beautiful fight scene in the woods or whatever that's that's just classic you see that kind of thing in those movies all the time Uh, people might be familiar with hero or house of flying daggers or there's there's a few ones that were basically made for the international market and hit more or less big Mm -hmm. over here but anyway, let's go back to the 1970s. Bruce Lee's really big. Marvel wants to cash in. Marvel is crass and commercial, and they want to cash in. And so they decide they need their own kung fu character. And instead of just creating one, they license the Fu Manchu novels. And they create this character, this Shang-Chi character. And he's basically designed as the son of Fu Manchu. The Tony Leung character is basically Fu Manchu, but... Fu Manchu has since then become very politically incorrect. It's not cool to even acknowledge his existence because he is just such a stereotype of of yellow peril. And so at, at a certain point, not too terribly long ago, Marvel just retconned it. They just decided that, 
I, I think what they said was, I think they did something in universe where it was like Fu Manchu was one of the bad guy's names, but one of his aliases, but actually he's got this other alias and isn't that cool. So it's not about Fu Manchu and it's <laughs> not about yellow peril. And actually we like Chinese culture and we think it's cool and we're not just exploiting it for something because it's popular. But it very much started that way. And I don't know. I guess we could have some deep philosophical argument as to whether it's still that way. But that's that's how it started in any case. Hmm. So Shang-Chi, ignoble. I guess it's a little bit like the movie itself. Ignoble, sort of. Well, I guess he's not. He doesn't have. It's not like the movie itself. It's the opposite of the movie. Because in the movie, he has very noble a very noble birth. But then he goes downhill. But it's more like the way that the movie, well, I'll stop comparing it to the movie. The, pro, the franchise has a rather ignoble beginning as a piece of Marvel schlock exploitation. And this movie, I think, had a lot of free reign in terms of just completely reinterpreting the character. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a lot like Blade, if people remember Wesley Snipes' Blade the Vampire Slayer. Blade came out in the 70s, and he was such a... We're going to cash in on black exploitation film. I mean, it's, the, it's really the exact same thing. It's one to one. Blade was this jive talking guy who was like all the worst stereotypes of black people, and he was this vampire killer. And it's just, it's so stupid. And then they're like, well, this is still kind of a popular property. So let's make a movie. And then David Goyer completely reconceptualizes the character with Wesley Snipes, and he becomes this really awesome, iconic character. And when, they, when Marvel, releases their new Blade movie, it's going to be way more based on what the old Blade movie did than anything that the uh-huh. comics ever did. Yeah. Well, the comics, like a lot of the time, the comics follow the movies then. Right. Once you repopularize something. Yeah, exactly. Just like I think, what's his face? Nick Fury is black now. He never was. <clears throat> he started being black before the before Marvel Samuel, movies, I, okay. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't pretend to be in, a comics in the, expert. In the, in the ultimate... Mm-hmm. Marvel Universe, which is now shut down, maybe? Yes, I think it is. I think it is. But that's where they that's where they well, reconceptualized a lot of things. I, read, I saw something recently where Marvel's even killing properties based on their on-screen success. So I think Inhumans is a... Oh, yeah, like... A property that's just dying because they've, yeah. they failed. Which makes sense. I mean, the, the movies are the tip of the spear and the movies are bringing in the money. Comics, yeah. as a... If you can't sell it on screen, then you're gonna, why waste time? Yeah. Well, what's funny, I know we've said this before, but I never, I read quite a few comics. I liked Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men as a kid, but you know who I never read or cared about? It just happened to glimpse and be like, okay, you appeared in my comic I did like was Captain America, Iron Man, Black Widow, all the stuff that Marvel successfully made really popular and made a ton of money off of. So... I don't know how those comics are doing now, like current series of those comics. You certainly see them. I mean, if you walk through a mm-hmm. Barnes and Nobles, which yep. I do sometimes, you will see Iron Man comics in the comic section just like sitting out. I don't I, – I, I honestly – I'd love to be able to say I knew who Iron Man was before the first movie, but I don't even know if I was aware of his existence. He, he really felt like a nobody coming out of nowhere to, to me, but I was more of a yeah. DC guy in terms of – reading that explains a lot about you nathan yeah well <laughs> and i'm not proud of it you hate yourself well, and everybody else and yeah okay isn't that i yeah. described dc earlier that i don't was that on this version of the podcast we had a couple oh, of maybe false, it wasn't false maybe starts. it wasn't maybe it was on a That's false funny. start well 
Batman is still the coolest. So mm. it's not so much that I was a DC guy as that I was a Batman guy. And I'm not ashamed of that because how can you not be a Batman guy? Hmm. <sighs> so that's Shang-Chi. They made this movie. They hired, and as they do, an indie guy of the correct ethnicity named Daniel Cretton something to mm-hmm. basically gave him free reign, a lot like what they did with Ryan Coogler. And Destin Daniel Cretton. Destin Daniel Cretton. 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 Yeah. And he drew on all these things, you know, drew on a lot of Wuxia films and stuff like that and made a movie that's breaking Labor Day box office records and people are just happy to be back in the theater and have a great tentpole movie to sort of unite around. And we're here to say what we thought about it. So what do you guys think about Shang-Chi? Well, just 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 give our give our overview first. Yeah, why not? Okay, he goes first. Did you guys bring any? I guess did you guys bring any context to this? No, I've seen Shang Chi and yeah. Do you mean baggage? Sorry, baggage. Yeah. Did you guys bring any context to this? I've seen Shang Chi in two or three comic books before. Right. Have no opinion of what the character should be or ought to be. I like martial arts movies. I like martial arts movies, and I like. I don't know if it's fair to say I like Chinese culture. I don't love what's wicked about Chinese culture or what's pagan about Chinese culture, but the exoticism of Chinese culture, like the cheap version of Chinese culture, just the sheen of it, the way it looks, the mm-hmm. accoutrement that comes with it. I think I enjoy that about as much as anything. I mean, I can watch a boring Chinese drama and get something out of it just because it's interesting to me what the people look like and what the the way that what the things that they're eating and mm-hmm. the way that they're landscape looks it's just it's just fun yeah so yeah agree i'm with you there so i think i would be more inclined to like this movie than i would like for example i guess the obvious comparison point is black panther Mm -hmm. i don't care i don't care about after african culture i'm not intrigued by it i don't i didn't grow up reading books or watching movies about tribes people or things like it's just it doesn't speak to me one way or another Mm-hmm. whereas Chinese culture sort of does. So I guess that's the only baggage I would bring to it. Yeah. Jake, your thoughts? I have no history with Shang-Chi, and martial arts movies are fine. They're fun, and I like exoticism too. That's it. Okay, well, let's litigate this movie. What do you guys think? Uh, it's fun. It's fun. It gives you... it. Well... It's fun, especially the first third. Yes. And then the middle act is a drag. And the last act, I wouldn't call it a drag exactly, but it's 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 giving you payoffs for things it never set up. So it's not really giving you payoffs. It really it really only leaves you with it it really only leaves you with one storyline that it follows with any integrity, mm-hmm. which is the villainous dad. Right. Which is the main star of the movie. Yeah. Tony Lung. A Hong Kong superstar. I, this is apparently his American film debut, which I did not know. But he's been in a lot of movies, and he is a fantastic actor and magnetic. And this is his movie. I mean, he yeah, it's his movie. He is just one of those guys. I mean, they say the real way to tell a star is: are they interesting when they're doing nothing? Can they just hold your attention when when they're observing something or when they're just sitting in a scene? 
And Tony Young, he outclasses everybody. I mean, and I'm not throwing shade at anybody. He's just he's just one of international cinema's great stars of all time. He is yep. awesome. And he is so darn classy in this movie and brings so much to a nothing character. And <laughs> <laughs> he's great. I mean, he's worth, I think he's worth buying a ticket for, actually, just to watch a master do something with nothing. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, I, I agree. He's, he's really, 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 really strong in the movie. I think anything else I want to say will happen when we get into structure. I yeah. Know, I know Jake has a good take because we were talking about this yesterday. You mm-hmm. just repeated my take. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I knew I was doing that. But <laughs> that, I, don't, I don't think that was your take yesterday. But. No, it wasn't. It wasn't quite. My, my take, I think, might slightly differ from yours. Like, I think I was more forgiving in but, the third act of the fact that it stunk. <laughs> <laughs> and just and I was just like, this is fun. And I just want to ignore the fact that it's not it's it's nonsense dramatically. But then the more I thought about your take, Jake, it happened that I thought I became less forgiving. So now who knows where I am? Well, I thought... Okay, so the take that you said, is that your take or isn't it? Because it's my take. It is take. my take. It is my okay. take. Yeah. All right. But I still had fun. Then you just turned around and said that you weren't sure if that was your... I don't know. I'm confused about what you actually think about... What I what I think is what I said. And okay. I, I still had fun. And I feel like I'd probably still watch it again in the theater or something if I had a reason to. I would... I, I have, would not watch it again in the theater. I, I would never watch it again, period. I don't care that much. But I'll watch the bus scene a few times on YouTube or whatever. Oh, I'll, I'll I, I I think I might agree with both of you. I mean, I agree with Ben to this extent, or, or with the second Ben to this extent. It was fun. It had pretty visuals. And I, I never felt myself resenting the movie while I watched it. I sure did resent it when I thought about it <laughs> afterwards. But it was it was pleasant. And I think some of that was just coming off of COVID. It was nice to sit in a theater with a lot of people and have sound and light thrown at me aggressively. But I think I forgave it a lot in the moment because it was competently made visually and as an action film, even when it wasn't doing a good job telling a story. And there's just so much I liked and wanted to work, mm-hmm. especially in terms of like, well, anything with Lung. With Tony Leung. But it didn't. It didn't work. No. <clears throat> it didn't work. It didn't work. It was just fun. <sighs> well, thanks for listening, everybody. That's it. How do we get into this one? Well, I don't know. It's kind of the same stuff. The through the Marvel through line right now is dads. This movie's this movie in Black Widow. They're like, yeah, we want dads. Also, screw dads. Mm-hmm. We don't need dads. Well, Jake, did you ever actually give us your take? I mean, your take is Ben's take, I guess. But Ben take number one. Jake's take is more detailed with with reasons. I All thought right. the first act was really fun and really great. I thought it did a nice job of paying tribute to all those other films and, and genres while grounding it visually in its own little universe. Mm-hmm. And thought it was some of the best action I've ever seen in Marvel. And the first Marvel movie that seems to really take choreography seriously, even in the stupid third act Mm -hmm. when they go to the CGI battle, it's Mm -hmm. actually choreographed and not just even the dragon CGI dragon fight is choreographed. 
Yeah, way, I think as far as as far as bad CGI dragon fights go, this is one of the better bad dragon CGI dragon <laughs> fights I've seen in a while. I think that if they had made Win Wu in the Ten Rings, it would have been a much more interesting and fun film. They oh. cast a nobody, a new actor, as their lead, and then they uh, didn't trust him to carry the film, and they put Aquafina beside him and said, "Here, we're not going to write a character for you. Have personality," and. They did the same thing for Simu Liu, and he was charming and fun as an actor on screen, but he didn't have much to play. I can't tell you what his arc is. I can't tell you what he learned. I can't tell you how he grew. And I don't know, it felt like a lot of studio stuff was happening too, that there was a good movie here that this couldn't let be a good movie. So I, the humor is a good example of that. There's just not a lot of things that are funny and a lot of things that the movie doesn't seem to think are funny that are in there to be funny for kids. But I wonder why they weren't able to trust this one like they did Ryan Coogler with Black Panther because Black Panther wasn't funny and Black Panther was just okay, mm-hmm. especially because of all the cultural baggage that it had. It was okay just being like, oh, well, you know, noble African culture actually isn't a yuck fest, guys, so... We're not going to do it. I mean, we'll have, they have Black Panther's little sister or whatever. And she's, Colonizer jokes. And, yeah, and, she's yeah, funny. I mean, well, they just leaned into uh, beating up on the white man for their humor. And they put Martin Freeman in there as right. their dopey white sidekick who is shocked and surprised that these people are so smart and sophisticated. And But that actually plays in, you can like it or hate it, but it plays into their themes and it, it makes sense. It's of a piece with what the movie's doing. What they didn't feel a need to need is, Where's Black Panther's funny sidekick who's going to be like, ah, I'm stuck on a ladder while action's happening. <laughs> yeah, now I magically have a part to play in how this oh, ends. Man. And in two days' time, I've learned how to shoot an arrow such that I can shoot a kill shot from you know, 300 <laughs> yards away at a dragon. What the heck? I don't want to be a conservative scold. But I hate Aquafina so much. I actually really like her in a movie called The Farewell, which I, I would recommend say. that anyone say, see. But in that, she's playing essentially the same character, but they don't give her a big arrow at the end because they're just like, this character's pathetic. She's supposed to be pathetic. She's like, she can't get her act together. She's just kind of the neurotic. She's just caught between being Chinese and being American in that movie. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. part and of what they're trying job. to play with. The movie is just constantly mm-hmm. sidestepping stereotypes at every possible point. And, mm-hmm. But they fail to give us any types to latch onto in terms yeah, of except characterization for, or heroes. Except for except Tony Wong. Who, like, who, who, who? You mean the thousand-year-old, murderous, homicidal, psychopathic maniac who they humanize by giving a uh, a love interest? Like, uh, yeah, he's well, uh, he, he is uh, the most interesting thing that's happening. And he is the most sympathetic character on screen. And all they had to do to take this murderous psychopathic monster was give him a human motivation to, it's just like stupid the way that. Well, and also Tony Lung never plays him as a psychopath, which is fascinating because Mm -hmm. the movie keeps telling you that he's a bad guy, but you don't actually ever get that scene. Even when he's destroying the army at the beginning, like we've seen a million CG army, I armies go flying through the air. We, that does not evoke emotion out of us. You need him to step on an orphan's neck or to kick a dog or something that tells us villain. And this movie 
tells you villain, but it actually never shows you villain. It actually never makes you feel villain. Not once did I ever have any lack of sympathy for Wen Wu. He just seemed like a really noble, great guy, played played by a wonderful actor. And I was just rooting for him the whole time. Yeah. And it kind of made me mad. I was like- well, They I, give you that dance at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautifully done. Mm-hmm. And- and Tony Leung, he, it's just it's like he heard your criticism, Jake. He's like, I need, I'm going to give these people a type, the noble Chinese guy. <laughs> I mean, that's the type, I guess. You know, the the wise, noble, melancholy warrior. I'm I'm going to give them that. It's not in the script. It, it's actually kind of counterintuitive to who my character needs to be. My character needs to be much more volatile. But I also need to fall in love with this woman. So I'm just going to play that. And I need that. to be willing to abandon my thousand year quest for power to start a family. <laughs> and, and I've actually watched interviews with Tony Long and he's like, yes, I decided that my character's dad was mean to him. And he had a lot, like he has this whole backstory that makes sense of the character that's not in the movie at all. But he explicitly says, I decided I wasn't going to play a villain. Super villains are boring. I think this guy has a lot of insecurities. Here's what they are here's how I mapped it out. And it's like, yeah, that'd be, I'd love to see that movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, uh, that is the character that we got. And yeah, every, every time he's really on screen, compelling. we get that movie. It's really compelling and really, it's just compelling. That's all. We should have gotten when we in the 10 rings and it could have ended with him. It could have ended with him setting aside the 10 rings to start his family and with the birth of Shang-Chi, and it could have been set in 1996. And that would have been an awesome origin story movie that gave us our Shang- the setup for a, Ch- a Shang- Shang-Chi movie. I it mean, essentially that- would have been like a pre, the pre-Black Panther story, like how exactly. the king got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where did well, the, the, the T'Chaka story? I, I think of this as Gangs of New York syndrome. I don't know if anybody's ever seen Gangs. Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York. But in that no. movie... The heroes are a young, not particularly sophisticated as an actor yet. This is like coming off of Titanic, Leonardo DiCaprio and Cameron Diaz. And they're both so flat and they both feel like such TV actors. And then you have Daniel Day-Lewis playing Bill the Butcher, this iconic supervillain of old-timey New York. And it's just like, why are we spending any time with Leonardo DiCaprio? Here's, you know... It's kind of the the classic criticism that people make of Batman '89. Like they obviously cared about Jack Nicholson, so just make a Jack Nicholson movie. Like, why are we even calling this a Batman movie? I don't know that that's a fair criticism of Batman '89. That movie has a lot of problems, but I don't know if that's actually one of them. But you'll see certain movies where it's like they only really cared about the villain, or the actors. The acting here is so one sided. It's one actor so outclassing everybody that. At a certain point, as filmmakers, you just have to figure out a way to actually lean into that, even if that's not what's on the page. And I bet Marvel actually does lean into it retroactively. I bet they bring Wu back. I bet they make him a good guy, just like they've done with Loki. Just like they, I mean, maybe Dan- Tony Lung is one and done. He made his American money. He, he's not going to want to do it again. But I bet they. Although- I mean, they've shot. They've shot lots of other great actors in these types of one and done roles that were just they did Jude Law and stupid Captain Marvels 
origin right. story. But right. Jude Law there gets defeated by the material. <laughs> Tony Leung should be defeated by the material, but he kung fu kicks the material through the door of death where the material gets eaten by a Lovecraft dragon soul monster. I, I don't think, I don't know. I don't think that the material is actually, I think the material actually helped him because the material's schizophrenic. It's not like they really, they just didn't They're not a telling a coherent story. Yeah. They're not. What Ben said about setups and payoffs is right. There are, what is set up that is paid off in that third act? What, what character beats with Simu Liu are set up? Well, I don't know. Off. I just felt old. I was like, am I missing this? Do I just not, does my brain just not follow these movies anymore? Like why? He falls into the water and then he's reborn as Dragon Man. Where did yeah, that come like, from? What was that? It's completely was that set unearned. up anywhere? Was that just arbitrary? No. no. It's no, not I, set up anywhere. We have some, m- mom's fight style is something about having the heart of the dragon, but she gave up the heart of the dragon. But then we get a little back scene where she says he has the heart of the dragon. But it means nothing. Mm-hmm. They don't tell you, they don't give you anything about what any of it means. And in the moments where they could, they do this dopey stuff where it's like, what is the secret behind the ordinary villager in this, is, in this village's ability to overcome Wen Wu, even if he has the 10 rings? Well, you have a closed fist and you should open your hand and have an open hand instead of a closed fist. And that is that, is that all we get? Well... And, and the movie just forgets all of the lore it sets up or tries to set up or doesn't care or it's just like... Could it possibly it really be a ritual decoupled from meaning? I mean, I felt a little vindicated as I watched this movie because I was just... Not that you guys were pushing back on that point necessarily, but I was just like, this is another example of the thing that I th- personally would argue Spider-Verse does really well, that this yep. movie does really poorly, but forget about Spider-Verse. This is another example of they want you to feel all the feelings of a hero's journey, but they don't actually want you to latch on to anything specific about what makes a hero or what makes a journey. And in this case, I, I don't think it's it's just sloppiness. It's just it, laziness. It, and that's where I, you know, what I said earlier about, you know, the movie so fixated on sidestepping stereotypes. Well, it feels bad about the fact that Shang-Chi is a man, but it doesn't feel bad enough to give us a sister that is any kind of character or an Aquafina that's any kind of character or an aunt that's any kind of character who can do any, like, it just wants well, to feel bad about that. And so it wants to be a father son story, but also it doesn't want to be a father son story. And it, it's just really confused. It's, it wants to do a lot of things by the whole, I was really irritated by the wooden diorama scene. I was like, Oh, great. A, a diorama in the village that tells the whole story of the village and sets up a bunch of things that the first hour and a half of the movie didn't bother to set up mm-hmm. or yeah. even not even mention. We're, we're, we're going to shoehorn it all in. How can we force feed you this material in a way that's stereotypically charming that a, a special magical village would have? How about a wooden diorama explained by a noble villager of, of, of a giant battle of good and evil that we have to introduce in the third act of this movie. Right. To, well, and, and the, movies, the, stakes. the movie's constantly doing that. It's actually weird how aggressively ill-structured it is. It will constantly be like, here's the information at the last possible minute that you need to feel something. I mean, I sort of get what they were going for with withholding the whole Shang-Chi's supposed to go murder the guy that killed his mother. The, the mother, the central mother, how she died story. They withhold you could see how a good movie could do that. Yeah. 
But the way this movie does it, it's like, oh, you forgot to tell me why I should care about any of this stuff. Yeah. Until mm-hmm. it's too late. Like, I could have been caring about this the yeah. whole time if you just told me why. But <laughs> you, you you waited till the last possible minute. And then with the village, again, with one, one, one little handy thing to keep in your mind, folks, is a third act, a third act problem. This is like a screenwriting piece of wisdom that people say. A third act problem is always a first act problem. A third act problem, always a first act problem. This movie had so many payoffs that it either forgot to set up or it's just like the guy didn't realize that you could like uh, in a in a screenwriting document thing, you can like move text around and you can rewrite and stuff. So he's like, oh, I forgot to set the thing up. I better have a flashback now. Okay, mm-hmm. there it is. There's my, and then here's my one draft. Let's. It's it's yeah. so it's so weird to have writing that's this bad. I mean, that's where it almost feels aggressively intentional. Like well, they they don't want it to connect or something. Well, in the other thing, yeah. So even the fact you have so much uh, flash flashback written stuff, right? But the one thing that you're gonna exposit that's supposed to be like the really emotional. This is my internal struggle. Is that he went through with killing. The man responsible for his mother's death. Yeah, you're not going to show us that. You're not going to show us that. <laughs> At least give us a wooden diorama. That. He should have pulled out a wooden diorama <laughs> I know. of him killing the guy. <laughs> I mean, I keep like, this. That's supposed to <laughs> resonate. Like, if what we're dealing with here, if what we can like retroactively piece together is what he's actually been running from is the fact that he is his father and that he actually went through with it. Yeah. But instead, he's going to say that, and then Aquafina's is going to be like, your dad trained you to be an assassin since you were seven, and he sent you on a hit when you were 14. That's messed up. Get over it. And then we're just all over it. Like, this is so stupid. Yeah, no, it's 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 bad. It does feel aggressively bad. But I, uh, to, to come back to something, what I you were saying there's no types, Jake, to, to latch yeah. on to. Yeah. But what I want to say is, ironically, everything everything in this movie feels like the same exact type and the the village, for example, the village is pure Chinese movie stereotype. Yeah, the magic so the dragon fight and, and, and every everything. character in it. The magic and okay, it's just like oh, Raya. Oh, like, it's 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 the dumb village man who wants to kill the invaders. What are you doing, you stupid village man? I'm the wise village matriarch. I'll come right. out and set things right, and I'll warmly invite you in because that's what wise village matriarchs do. And then you'll serve my wise matriarch purposes, you dumb village patriarch. Well, that's just that's just a stereotypical. That's I, like I've seen that in Asian movies before, and pretty sure I've seen Michelle Yeoh play that character before. Probably you have, and Michelle Yeoh is just playing the magical auntie. That's that's a type of thing. I'm the magical martial arts lady, and it it and actually yeah. all it's doing is by plugging in those types, it's 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 telling you the viewer, hey. Fill in the rest of this emotional journey yeah. on your own, and you tell me why this works. Which is exactly and, what I was talking about with Spider Verse. Yes, it's yes. it's giving us all those tr- things that feel tropey. Like these are the kinds of scenes yeah. we see. These are the kinds of characters. So now yeah, you know what have. to do with your emotions, right? And it kind of works. And that's that's what feels so nasty about it. Ultimately, is yeah. that you're like, <laughs> oh yeah, magical auntie. I get that. I've seen that. It works. Yeah, I you you I did. Yeah, but because the magical auntie works doesn't mean that. They did anything that actually works in the movie. No, right. it do, it doesn't. And I did, I, I suppressed this. I actively suppressed this when I was watching the movie, but I, I resented all of the Magical Village stuff. Yeah. And and I was like, I don't, I don't care. And, I, and part of the reason I was willing to suppress it was because I did like Simulu. I did like Shang-Chi. Yeah. I did want him. I was hoping for a meaningful emotional climax for him in some way with his dad. 
And the movie kind of gestures at that too. And it kind of gives it to you and it, it, it through the same worked. way we're, 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 what's that? It could have worked, but it undercuts oh, it. Oh, it could have it worked, yeah. It, at every point it undercuts it. But it's I, still... I had the same thing. Oh, yeah. As soon as we get into Magical Village, it's like, I've seen this before. Mm-hmm. I've seen these characters in Fantastic Beast movies. We and saw I've Tom seen, Cruise do this. Yes, we've oh, seen Tom Cruise yeah, do this in Last Samurai, mm-hmm. and we've seen all of this crap before. And the dragons, and I watched Raya not long ago, and all of it's just like, it's just the, ta- the dragon eat- eating its own tail. But... <laughs> Good one. Yeah, thanks. Let me pat myself on the back for that. <laughs> oh, I just got it. Yeah, good. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Four stars. <laughs> but wait, it ate the other dragon's tail, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. But so, like, you, you know, you have the moment. I believe in the drama between Simu Liu and Tony Leung. I believe yeah. in the drama between Shang-Chi and Wen Wu. I believe in the son who's like, you checked out on us. Like you chose the rings over us. And I believe in the father. I believe in the patriarchal father who looks at his seven-year-old son and says, why weren't you dead on the ground? (laughs) But why didn't you stand between those men and your mom? That's the movie. Can I just pause you there? That's the movie I want to see. I loved that movie. When Tony Leung takes him, and makes him watch as he brutally destroys those guys. I was like, oh, yeah, what an awesome, yeah, like, Shakespearean, tragic, like, bloody, horrible. Like, I know that's never the movie they were going to want to make, but that's more like in the... But that's the story that they chose to tell. They said, here's the man who is angry, who is a murderous villain for a thousand years, gave it all up to start a family. His wife was taken from him. And he turns his children into monsters. Great story. That's a great story. That's the that is the literal story that they told. And, but they they got squeamish about it. And you got to make a decision. You're either going to tell that story or you're not. And, and if you're going to tell that story, you have to tell it. Which means from the very beginning, we have to understand that Tony Leung actually is a villain. You can't. I mean, I know that they yeah, want to. You can't feel good about him taking his seven year old son. And turning him into an assassin who he sends out on a hit at the age of 14 after taking him and exposing him to that level of violence and feeding his desire for revenge on the man who killed his mother. And then he went through with it. And then he went through with it. I I think if if Tony Leung at the very beginning- And then he got sick and ran away. At at the very beginning of this movie, Tony Leung destroys that army or whatever, and he, he gets to the fortress that he's trying to attack. If a cat- ran across his path and he kicked the cat, that fixes a whole <laughs> host of problems. Because then we understand this guy's a volatile psycho man who fell in love. As he fell in love, there was something volatile, something self-destructive, even about that. It, it just suddenly places Tony Young as a character that I know how to feel about. Instead, they're like, yeah, he was bad. He wanted power. They never show us anything that makes us feel in any way conflicted about him, the first real emotional beat we get with him is this beautiful scene of him falling in love. And Tony Leung is great at expressing longing with just his eyes and stuff. And you're like, aw. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It would be like- just lonely. It would be like in Black (laughs) Panther if Michael Jordan's character never actually shot anybody or was mean to anybody or he just showed up and said like, I have a different way of running Wakanda. Yeah, the that's fact right. that he turns around and caps his own girlfriend that's been with him for, through the first uh, act of the movie. 
You're like, oh, this guy's a complicated villain, and I understand where he's coming from, but also he's a monster, which is obviously the story they wanted to tell with Tony Leung. But you never, you, you can't forget to include the monster part, and you can't just tell us about it. You have to show it. Again, you just have him kick a cat. It, That's all you need. Or, it, or kick the crutch out from under an orphan. Then you exposit these things. You exposit the bad things. You don't show any of it. And then you have this scene where you're supposed to have dad and son are finally going to have it out together. Mm. And all you get is a line of exposition, a line of exposition. And then we're back in full fight mode. And then he's in the lake. And now he's got the heart of the dragon or in his worthy to summon the guardian and you know and it's all action from there well you and nothing with dad after that is anything but action it's just like i am worthy to take these rings from you and i have i have embraced the mom in me and the heart of the dragon you but the here's the thing though this movie again okay nathan i like i'm liking your ritual thing more and more as a tool yay (laughs) yeah again what you get is in their final big effects fight before the gate bursts open and the super big evil scary bad dragon comes out you get I, i can't remember it all exactly you get a few lines of dialogue and you get a lot of the camera, the camera lets you see a lot of Tony Lung's eyes, mm-hmm. and and what that scene is supposed to do by gesturing toward it is tell you because it it does it mimics the shot of Lung dancing with his wife when he's yes, fighting with mm-hmm. Shang Chi, and it's like right. actually Tony Lung has just recognized in his son the beautiful thing that he loved in his wife, and he's realized he's he's wrong. It's we're not going to have the actual storytelling. We're going to have one shot. We're going to have a lot of shots of Tony Lung's eyes. And we, what, what, we, what we want you to understand, viewer, is this is actually the story we're telling. This has now happened. There's now emotional wholeness. Sorry, we don't have time to tell it, but we, we kind of told you, or we told you that we wanted to tell you. We gestured. Now there's understanding. And by the way, there's a big difference between doing that, which is just pure laziness, sloppiness, and passive aggression towards your audience, yeah. and intentionally letting your audience read between the lines right and this is where our discussion in spider-verse would always got complicated because it was like well maybe they have a very specific story they're telling and they just want the audience to be intelligent enough to connect the dots and and that would be the argument for what we represented as the jake point of view fair enough in this particular case it's much easier to talk about because it's not that they've given you all the correct pieces and you just have to put them together it's that they're just throwing pieces out willy-nilly yep. and they're throwing enough of the pieces that you're used to in these kinds of stories that you can plausibly put it together or, or especially if you're just sitting there eating your popcorn, not thinking too hard, you can sort of think, oh yeah, that was a dad story. But what did it say about dads? Who was the dad? What did the movie actually think of the dad? These are all questions that the movie forgot to answer. Was Tony Lung ultimately a psychopath who had some redemptive qualities? Or was he a great guy who had some psychopathic qualities? The movie forgot to tell me that. It, 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 it did not actually answer really basic questions about who he was, about who Simon Lung, or how do you, how do you say his Simu name? Simon Lu. Simon Lu was. Like, was he actually the goofy guy that, was, that liked to sing karaoke with Aquafina? Is that actually part of his character? Or is that like something that he sort of disguised himself with? Like, like was he sort of a Jet Li type character who plays it close to the vest, doesn't want to show off his powers, but actually the power is inside him all the time? Like when he finally, when he busts out his powers in the bus, is that like him re-embracing something that he had tried to 
tamped down or is that him just being the guy that he always was, but he was disguising it? Like, is he actually an Aquafina? I realize that the movie has some lame answers to these questions and that they're, they're not all completely, some of them are more tethered to meaning than others, but it's really sloppy. Like, in the, in the way that it puts these things together in a way that again, almost feels aggressive or passive aggressive towards the audience. Like we actually don't care that you have the answers and we don't want you to have the answers. Like in some, in some sense it would make our movie less the product that we want it to be. If we told a story like, I don't know. It, it drives me nuts. Yeah. What I, I, I don't know. I schizophrenic is my word. And I think that's because I feel like it's, it's, it's a structural problem in the sense of there are two, three, maybe four different structures, mm-hmm. dramatic structures, storyline structures that they're just compiling right. without any care, that they're just mashing together. And that's how it felt to me. Like, oh, this structure in this movie, like this way, here, we're going to do that. Oh, also, we're doing this. Oh, we forgot. We're doing this one too. Right. And you do none of them completely, but you're going to try to give me all of them in one movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's... It really makes you appreciate the classic craftsmanship that went into Black Panther, I actually. Know. I mean, that movie... What a sad thing to say, but yeah, very true. It is It is a little sad, but that movie... Well, a movie that's so much less fun. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I, I don't... I, there, I have no reason to ever want to go back to Black Panther. I don't really care about it that much, one way or another. But it is a movie with the first act, a second act, a third act, a through line, a character who makes sense, a guy who goes on a journey and learns something. And grows in a way that enables him to become a king that honors his father, but also differentiates from his father. Like all the sorts of things that happen in stories happen in Black Panther. It's not just a bunch of stuff that almost relies on the audience to, I mean, it's like I watch a movie like Shang-Chi and I'm like, are they relying on people to not think about this? And are they relying on people to have short attention spans? Like like the the scene with Aquafina where she comforts him in the village and says, "Ah, your dad," and he reveals that his dad that he did go through with the hit or whatever. That scene could work just fine if it had a setup and a payoff and was part of a a screenplay. If we were made... living with that tension the whole movie, like he was, if we knew that that was the tension he was living with. But I, I just feel like they think we're making this for the TikTok generation. No, and, and so here's the scene. I think I think actually Nathan that's what we've come to. Let's think about our Wanda vision discussion and when we talked about integrity mm. and storytelling. I think that's maybe the best insight we've ever had as a podcast or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's that is what this is. It is the TikTok generation. It mm. is like actually you know what's important? That moment Shang-Chi and his dad have when they they have an important dramatic emotional moment. Mm-hmm. Did we set it up? Did we pay it off? Does it make sense in the context of the movie? Does not matter. That moment matters. Mm-hmm. That's what matters. And as many moments like that as we can give you, we'll give you. Right. And that's it. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think that that's true. Let's just pile them up. I mean, Rise of Skywalker was the same way. Yeah. Again, it makes you appreciate certain things. It makes you appreciate Ryan Johnson, uh, who yep. knows how to write and wants to tell a story with integrity. Ryan Johnson is out to destroy everything that I love, but he does it with integrity. Mm-hmm. Doggone it. He is, he fights with honor. <laughs> he fights with honor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's my enemy, but I respect an enemy who fights with honor. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I think that's a kind of a good way to think uh, about that, it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that is a good way to think about it. Huh. 
J.J. Abrams in Rise of Skywalker, these guys in Shang-Chi, Black Widow was, of course, similar, but that wasn't <laughs> as much of a surprise. Um, Black, Black Widow felt, felt more like the innocent version of this somehow. Yeah. Somehow. I don't, I don't know why I would say that, but um, it's, just so, it's just so dumb. And and dorky. Here's a provocative statement for the podcast, maybe because women are more easily deceived. (laughs) So the director of Black Widow was just like, (laughs) la-di-da. Yeah. yeah, I actually want to assign more moral agency to the Shang-Chi. Destin Destin, Daniel Cretton. Destin Daniel. His production team. Yeah. The the only question. Yeah. These are films without integrity. Battles without honor or humanity. (laughs) Films without integrity. The only question is how much malicious intention to ascribe. Like are... is, is is it that they are so much a, a product of the TikTok generation that they just don't realize they have to write a screenplay? Or is it that they are aggressively destroying the foundations of story t- storytelling as we know it? I have no idea. <laughs> that bus fight was cool, though. It was awesome. Bus fight was cool. This movie's uh, choreography. Dance was cool. The dance was... fight was cool. Yeah, those... They're fantastic. Well, and it was refreshing to see choreography in a Marvel movie. I mean, I don't know that we can name an action scene in Marvel that comes close. The one that everybody will want to no. say is the elevator fight. The but elevator I, scene is I, what, yeah. <laughs> no, Win- I think Winter Soldier is the only thing that comes close in terms of action and it doesn't come close. Yeah, I, I think, as I've said before, the fact the reason that people like the elevator fight is more about the setup of the elevator fight than the actual choreography of the elevator fight. This movie has actual good action done by a Jackie Chan choreographer who recently passed away. Sadly, I forget what his name was. Bradley Allen, Bradley Allen, really great choreographer and a great performer himself. Great performer and great at just the Jackie Chan school of, we're going to use the whole environment to take down our enemies and to defend super, ourselves, which super is super fun, which is what makes the bus scene. Well, it's so fun. And this director has obviously has more of an aptitude, I think than any Marvel director we could name, except maybe James Gunn, but James mm-hmm. Gunn is actually, James Gunn was not as good at this or as fun right. in his action. And this guy has absorbed like Jackie Chan and Wuxia mm-hmm. and modern like blending of CGI with practical to do to do some things. I was just like, okay, you know how to do it. Right. Most, yeah, most he made it feel grounded and in the universe, but also yeah. developed his own style, you know, for the whole movie. I, it, I yeah, what I wanted something. by the time the movie was done was a movie that was decoupled from marvel Mm -hmm. absolutely give this guy that yeah i would he have been able to and free to tell an actual good father-son story here would he have been free to not include a bunch of dumb idiot jokes that he despised Mm -hmm. and i really think the movie hated the humor that was stuck into it it didn't like ben kingsley or it, I, I think I it tolerated know. Ben Kingsley. I think what it hated were the moments where, where it was like, we must work together. We will not work together. We are better than you. Oh, no, a soul sucker has eaten my friend. We will work together now. Ha, 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 ha. That's like, so Marvel House that. style. Like, <laughs> let's add a little humor here, fellas. <laughs> yeah, and the movie was like, oh. see the thing the studio made us do? It's right. stupid. We hate it. There it is. You, just, you imagine Daniel Creston... Noir the third or whatever his name is and he's in the studio and then Feige comes in and Feige's eating chips real loudly <laughs> and there's crumbs falling on the studio <laughs> he's like put in a joke here <laughs> and Daniel Creston Noir the third is like 
All right, all right. <laughs> I, what's the most stereotypical Marvel joke I can put in here? That, oh, yeah, like what's well, the most Marvel hack joke <laughs> number 43? And, well, and the dumb thing is that when I walk out of the theater and kids are going to be like, my favorite part was the dumb joke that they inserted in this movie. That's where it that becomes going to happen. That's where it begins to feel malicious because whether they intend it or not, they are dumbing kids down. They are teaching kids to view storytelling through a TikTok lens where it's just about a collection of moments and they really don't have to add up to anything. They just have to kind of feel like they add up to anything, to something. So long as they had fun and they laughed and there was some random emotion here and there. Yeah, even even down to another big plot miss is... Look, a village of people so powerful that even a ordinary villager guarding the entrance can defeat the guy with the ten rings. Oh, look, a whole village versus the army of the ten rings. They're going to lose almost. Good thing the soul suckers came out and we had to... What happened to your magic powers? Like, the actual version of this story, especially with a through line where Tony Leung is a psychopath, is they break into the village, all the ten rings people, all the village people have their powers, and the Ten Rings guys have, like, guns and rocket launchers. Mm. That's the actual way a warlord would do it. Right. That's, and, and, that's the actual scene. And, and call it corny or contrived or whatever, but that's that's the way these kinds of things, you know, that's like the Avatar story. You know, James Cameron is enough of a classicist yeah. to steal from the best. And so that's usually, it's like machinery versus right. newfangled yeah. versus oldfangled. Right. It, the themes don't have to be deep, but if, if you can have some actual themes... The military-industrial complex versus the village of hippies. I mean, that's a theme. That's a, something that you can. But this this movie just doesn't even bother to give you that much. It's it's kind <laughs> it, again. It's kind of weird. It's kind of mind-boggling. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It gets worse the more you talk about it. One of those movies. It is definitely a movie that gets worse yep. the more you talk about it. It's also definitely a perfectly pleasant movie to sit there and watch in the theater. Mm-hmm. And it's not so aggressively annoying in its wokeness or anything that I would persuade anyone not to see it. Although I, mean, I did the gender think equity crap is oh so boring. As hack as anything else too. Like, yeah, it's like the they, sister they was not allowed to learn, but she taught herself better than all the boys. But here everybody <laughs> gets to fight, and now she's it's just like, come on, <laughs> I'll guys. be quiet. Like, just be quiet. Well, and also it's so weird the aggressive desexualization in a bad way of these Marvel movies right. and of the Star Wars franchise now. This platonic relationship with Simu Liu and, and uh, desexed de- de- Darcy. I mean, you like, can imagine... What I the, called her in our, in our discussion, but the, she plays that Darcy type, but she's absolutely asexual. Yeah, it's so weird to watch a movie where the random girl that Tony Lung, because they needed to draw on some feminine energy to make that scene play at all, She's the only girl that gets to have any feminine kind of anything. You have the sister with this ugly, dumb Egyptian haircut, boy cut. You see her in this like uh, Prince Valiant cut. reference outfit thing. I, yeah. I have to say, I, I was fine with the idea of a hardened, angry sister who hated men and was going to build some kind of empire to spite her father. But the movie was like, well, it's kind of bad, but also, you know what? She is kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she did it on her own. <laughs> <laughs> but now she's training girls, too. <laughs> that credit scene was so lame. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, 
Uh, it is it is weird that you're you're drawing on uh, quite frankly, if I may, uh, one of the most beautiful cultures of of human beings, and you're going to go out of your way to have Aquafina play this slouchy, badly dressed, desexed Darcy, as we called her on our Slack channel or whatever character. Aquafina just aggressively like, I hate myself. <laughs> Check out my pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they tell you everything you need. I really hate myself and check out my body posture. I just, I slouch. I mean, have you ever seen a slouchier performance in a movie? This movie wins mm-hmm. best slouch. I don't, I don't, I can't think of another contender. Aquafina is, and don't look her up, but if you look up and see what brought her to fame, it's all just like, I'm a vulgar, desexed woman like person any, who hates it, herself. It, it's like most female comedians, crass and vulgar and just perverse. Crass, vulgar, perverse, and utterly, I don't know, I I guess they think it's empowering to act exactly like a man. I mean, I guess I'm just describing feminism, but it's hilarious to me how little female comedians ever give thought to how a woman might be funny. Yep. They they just try and do what the boys do, and they have to do it louder and brasher and more vulgar to even make an impact. Or you can be like Sarah Silverman and do all that and also try and be cute and show some leg. That's that's the way to really be popular, but we're beyond that now. We have to have Aquafina slouching around, being gross, and so you have her, and then you have the sister who's completely hardened and play and not allowed to really be soft or beautiful or anything like that. Really, the best feminine energy comes from Michelle Yeoh, who's just a very classically graceful female, who's also a feminist shill, who's also a feminist shill. Yeah, <laughs> they actually put most of the feminist jargon. You know, if somebody's going to give a feminist speech whatever we're actually going to give it to the woman who's the most traditionally feminine which is uh <laughs> yeah. ridiculous but michelle yo by the way drove a motorcycle onto a moving train in super cop aka police story three that woman actually is i know we're not allowed to say the word for what someone who's really awesome awesome is mm-hmm. but michelle yo she's that she is that athletically she actually has the chops she actually yeah. She's the closest thing to a battle babe that you will find. Uh, because Hong Kong... Uh, excuse me, Gina Carano? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Ben. I forgot. <laughs> How could I forget? <laughs> no, but the thing about Hong Kong, the thing about pagan cultures in general is that they just don't care as much about life, which makes action scenes easier to film because uh, you can just say, hey, Michelle, <laughs> you want to drive a motorcycle onto a train? And she will, and she'll miss it in the credits cookies. So she is a battle. She's just not a babe. Mm-hmm. She was an MMA yes. fighter. Well, and you kind of got to love her for being like, I could be a babe or I could do battle, but I can't really do both. So make your pick. I mean, there's a she's she's much more honest <laughs> in some yeah. ways. <sighs> but anyway, what else to say about this movie? I hate Aquafina. She gets on my nerves. You can imagine how. Again, simple fixes, simple screenplay fixes. Choose a point of view because if it's from the point of view of the best friend of the hero who's following him around and who's discovering all this stuff, it makes much more sense to parse out the information the way that they parse it out. But the fact that it's finally, it, we, we start, like when the movie proper begins, post, you know, after we've done all the setup and legwork, we're going to start in bed with, uh, what's his face? What is Shang-Chi's character's name called? Sean. 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 We're gonna start yeah, Sean Chi. We're gonna start with Sean waking up. We're gonna sort of see things from his point of view, but then they're gonna withhold everything that we need to know to understand who that guy is. 
it's just sloppy storytelling. It makes much more sense. If, if, if you're going to have big surprises about a character, you kind of want to see it from someone's else's point of view or, or, or have a point of view. Yeah. It's actually, it's not something that people often think about, but movies actually are just as point of view-y as literature if you're not being sloppy about it. <sighs> I mean, you can do an omniscient point of view, but you have to commit to that and then play fair with the audience and give them information omnisciently. Anyway, mm. this movie sucks. I hate Marvel. <laughs> what else? So we talked about Aquafina. Sounds like you guys liked uh, Simu... Simulu? I like Simulu. him. I just mm-hmm. wish they wrote a character for him and trusted him to carry the the movie. I, w- I want the version of this movie where we don't feel the need to throw Aquafina alongside him to be sure there's plenty of personality and we just allow it to be a father-son story where he well, battles his just... demons. It, it, you could tell the story with Aquafina there if you wanted to, but I mean, there's just so much that's just fighting. Well, then you have to have a point of view on Aquafina. Is she holding right. him back? Does she want him to be lame and unact- self-actualized because that's better for her? These are all the kinds of stories that you can tell with a character like all, Aquafina. All, all you had to do was start their relationship off like that and then show that obviously there's lots of sexual tension. Obviously she's vulnerable and Simulu is taking advantage of her right. for 10 years or whatever, however long it is. And that goes along with the way that he represses his own violence and his violent past. He's repressing everything and she doesn't know why she, he's so compelling, but he's using her and... It, you just, you yeah, just you actually make totally a movie with that. these characters. You and Aquafina totally would be great story. at that. You, may, you force her to be vulnerable. But in yeah, the end, it, what, it, you, what you end up doing is being sure that we go back to karaoke with her and Wong. If, if what he's doing is using her and holding her back so that he can perpetuate his adolescence and avoid dealing with his problems and he's found somebody that he can just like... Who will be a bro. A, yeah, who will be a bro. And he can just feed that and kind of keep her in bro mode. And he can use the friends... Instead of as like dopey idiots who got on with their lives and became lawyers and crap, as like concerned people who are share maybe an audience point of view of what you're doing is actually not healthy and not okay. And it's not your family and your friends that are stupid. It's you that are stupid. They could have done that. That's that's they they weren't going to do that. It started to happen. That movie actually started to happen in a couple. That's that's the thing. This movie is schizophrenic. That one scene with Aquafina's family. Yeah, they were actually, I thought they were sympathetically like, hey, you guys, get on with your life. When are you going to marry her? Well, again, it's, it's, just, it's like but we've they been saying the whole off. time. It's a, it's, a scene that, yeah, but. it's a scene that wants to actually make you feel like this story is turning into motion and we sort of have the feelings of the story even in other scenes, but it never goes anywhere. It never. Yeah. There's zero sexual tension between the two of them. They, there's no point in that movie where you believe that they should become a couple or something like that. No, no. The the grandma doesn't see a couple that's burgeoning in love. It sees two young people she doesn't understand who are boy and girl hanging out. And the only sense she can make of it is, I don't understand why you're not married. And grandma just doesn't get it. Doesn't get this new sort of platonic, adolescent, prolonged hmm. garbage. Man, I miss, hmm. I miss boys and girls hmm. being in movies and falling in love. I really miss it. I think... Yeah, okay, it's a trope and it, it's a tired trope and it's one that we saw a million times back when they made movies about human beings with relatable human things going on. But there's nothing better to anchor a story than 
Peter loves MJ, but he feels like he can't, you know, it's just, it's universal. We all get it and we can all connect to it and we can all enter into it with, with simple sexual dynamics between man and woman, boy and girl, boy wants girl, boy can't have girl, boy is repressed. There's just so many different simple variations you can play on that and have in- instant audience identification and understanding and entry. Yeah, and in, in, you can watch Raimi do that over three films and be super annoyed with the fact that he just keeps toying with this relationship and flip-flopping things and inverting things and causing problems and chaos and tension here and there. But what you can't deny is that the reason he can get away with that is because relationships matter and work. Right. And he does, man. It's so annoying. It's so obnoxious. Oh, and Sam Raimi's very heavy-handed and melodramatic about it all. But yeah. it's there, structurally. Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine if they made Die Hard right now, and you couldn't, no. you couldn't actually have Bruce Willis <laughs> fighting to regain his wife or whatever. Like, you'd have to... I don't know how they'd complicate it or make it different, but you, you, you couldn't just use simple, like, she despises him, but because he's hard to live with. But actually, it turns out guys who are hard to live with are really nice to have around when there's a bunch of terrorists. And like, you, you couldn't just hit simple beats like that anymore because they're politically incorrect and or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. We, just, we just don't want to do them anymore. And it, yeah. it gives you less ways to actually relate to, enjoy, and be emotionally moved by these movies. And it's there's so many simple hack screenwriter ways that they could have gone with the Aquafina relationship. You know, she's the girl that pines after him. He's never given her the time of day. She's been friend zoned, but he's going to suddenly reveal all this potency and they're going to come, you know, that's one way you could go. There's, you know, I can name four or five ways you could go with it, but mm-hmm. they'd all be better than just not going anywhere with it. Yeah. <sighs> Bummer. I don't think we've spent sufficient time talking about how great Tony Lung is. He's really great. He's awesome. I went and uh, started looking up movies that he was in to watch. I rewatched well, Hero. I, it's been so long since I've seen that. I don't even remember who he plays. He plays Broken Sword. He's like the chief conspirator mm-hmm. on the other side. So you got Donnie Yen and then you've got Broken Sword and his lover. So and is he ultimately a, a villain? No, he's the good no. guy who turns the whole movie. Who okay. convinces Jet Li to not kill the Emperor after all, and then they all die. Yeah. He lets it, the girl kill him so that she'll finally learn the lesson, and Jet Li walks away and dies, and then the girlfriend commits seppuku. And <laughs> yep. Man, nobody does beautiful fatalism better than the Chinese. Or the Japanese. Or the Japanese. <laughs> Japanese. Uh, well, yeah, maybe the Japanese. Mm-hmm. But the well, Japanese. It's not so she, beautiful, actually. She, yeah, the thing about <laughs> the Japanese is so sword, yeah. you know, and then he comes around. It's just horrible. And then pulls the sword yep. all the way through his into her. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it all, everybody mm-hmm. dies. And, yeah. Yeah, it so is, we get like basically the entire second and third act feature him and his girl through different scenarios as it's being told as it's being reimagined by the emperor and then as it actually happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That is a weird, slow, a, interesting movie. It is a it is a pretty cold movie, actually. Yeah, it left it's, me a little cold. I think House of Flying Daggers is the one that House I House of Flying better. Daggers is not cold. No, it's a House little of, bit too hot. It's maybe, like but, it's overwhelming. But yeah. But it also doesn't have Tony Lung, which yeah. is who we're talking about. So, Well, the, the Tony Lung movie that I watched, just to get a little bit more, a, a deeper 
breath of lung. I'm trying to make a pun <laughs> here, but it's not working. Wow. I don't think there's a way. To, to get a lung full. To, yeah, to get a lung full, yeah. Is <laughs> the, I believe, Cannes Film Festival winner of 2000, In the Mood for Love, which is a movie by a guy named Wong Kar Wai. Wong Kar Wai, I think. Wong Kar Wai. Maybe it's Wai, I never know. Wong Kar Wai, probably, yeah. Very influential sort of art house director. In the Mood for Love is a beautiful movie, uh, very, very fatalistic, like we've been talking about, about a man played by Tony Lung and a woman played by, not Tony Lung, a woman played by a woman, in fact, whose spouses start cheating on them. And they slowly fall in love with each other as they process the fact that their spouses are cheating together. And it's just very slow and languorous and, spoiler alert, they they never do anything about it. So it's all kind of about the tension of unrequited love. And anyway, my only point is Tony Lung is so good at playing like all this stuff where you know his character's feeling everything, but he can't say anything. Like it's not about playing emotions as an actor. The really great actors can play the emotions that, that they're not allowed to play. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can play all the stuff that they're holding back. They can play all the things they're not saying. And Tony Lung, he just may be one of the greatest actors of all time in terms of the ability to just communicate things with his eyes, with a gesture, with a, like, here's a guy that's keeping so much under the surface, you know, the iceberg theory. You see a little bit, but you know, there's worlds going on underneath. He is just a great actor when it comes to that sort of thing. And he brings so much to Mm -hmm. this movie. And it's a real shame that, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's better than like the nineties when Jackie Chan had to do rush hour in order to make it. And John Woo had to do broken arrow with Christian (laughs) Slater. And, uh, I guess so. And Sui Hak, or whatever his name is, had to do knockoff with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, boo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've all never... All kinds of things like that. Yeah, Hollywood's always... <laughs> all, these guys always eventually come to Hollywood because that's where the money is, but... And then they make awful schlock with RB stars or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just... Yep. Oh, okay. What else do we need to say about this movie? I really liked Peppermint Dragon, the peppermint-colored good good guy dragon. He was a cool dragon. Maybe the, the coolest dragon, dragon that ever... looks just like the dragon out of Raya, the last dra- in the last dragon, Spirited starring away. Aquafina as the dragon. Oh, by the way, how dare you reference Miyazaki? Your movie doesn't deserve to make me feel like there's anything Miyazaki going on. <laughs> also, he's Japanese. You racists, stay out of Miyazaki's lane. You don't get to have your little village oh. feel like Miyazaki. Yep. <laughs> you don't get to have your cute little animal, and your cute little, little animals head, suck. Headless, uh, headless dog. That was very annoying. It was very animal. Miyazaki. It was very Miyazaki and very lame, and and just didn't bring a lot. It was was not bringing as much as the movie wanted it to. And then those lions were really bad CGI. And then the only thing that I liked was Peppermint Dragon. I thought Peppermint Guardian Dragon was. Pretty cool. Quite possibly the coolest live action dragon I've seen. I mean, what are who are the famous live action dragons? You've got your never ending story dragon. Pete. Pete. You've got dragon. Pete. <laughs> You've got Pete's dragon. Uh, I'm only going for live action dragons here. You've got Smaug from Hobbits, the desolation thereof, and whatever the third one was called. You've got Sean Connery and Dragonheart playing Draco the dragon. I think Peppermint Guardian Dragon might be the coolest CGI dragon. 
You've got Reign of Fire dragons. Oh, I've never actually seen Reign of Fire. Reign of Fire had pretty good, pretty cool dragons. I like a dragon. I like a, I like a good dragon movie. And this movie... I mean, I was very disappointed that the Watcher Lurker of Souls guy was not something better after the build. After like, like if you're gonna be at the the Lurker of Souls that we've kept at bay for thousands of years, you oh, can't just got be a tentacles. monster. Yeah, but I don't know the fact that he could even be taken down by Peppermint Dragon in in the Ten Rings. Yeah, it's it was just, it all seemed a little too easy. If you're a lurking soul sucker that's been kept on the other side of a magical portal, and if you're by the guardian in, in the dreams, first place, the what's that? Put there well, by the guardian dragon in the first place with help. Yeah. yeah, you should not be able to be hurt by an arrow fired by Slouch Face Aquafina. That's like guess what never happens at the end of an H.P. Lovecraft story. Aquafina never once <clears throat> fires an arrow that she just learned how to use five minutes ago into Cthulhu. Now those stories have lasted a long time. People like those Cthulhu stories. You know why? It's because Aquafina never fires an arrow that she just learned five minutes ago how to fire into Cthulhu. It never happens. Not once. Because not, it would not be even st- with dragon scale arrows? Not even with dragon scale arrows. Because it would be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> not even if the wise old patriarch who decided he'll be your friend after all taught you? No. Not even if the wise old woman taught you that <laughs> if you aim at nothing, you hit nothing? <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was tied together with the movie's themes, man. How could you forget that? It was a through line. Aquafina doesn't know what she's doing, and then she discovers her purpose, kind of, somehow, in a way that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Her purpose being to shoot arrows, I guess. Yep. And then go back to karaoke. Yep. We're ready to save the world. She goes back to karaoke. I With hate, Wong. I hate the last scene where they're like, their friends are like, what? Oh, yeah. It's so lame. It's, it's such a like, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a Marvel thing, if ever. You know, that's where Kevin Feige's like, um, chips, uh, we need another scene, guy. I don't know why. I like to imagine Kevin Feige. <laughs> Mouth breathing behind what the director. Kind of, what kind and the, of chips do you think Kevin Feige likes to eat? Now that is what, where this podcast should have started. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking like a a sweet baby Ray barbecue. Maybe I don't know, Jake. Your thoughts? What kind of chips does Kevin Feige eat? You know what? It's probably Marvel branded. It's probably like Spider Man so, chips. Or so something. he probably has some deal with like Lay's or something like that, and it's just plain right. Lay's potato chips with Spider Man on the bag. For the purposes of my story, I think it's like old. They had like cases and cases of Iron Man 2 chips. They just, they got too many and they just sit in the studio and Feige wanders into the warehouse and just like grabs a thing of chips and then he's like stuffing it into his mouth as he gives bad notes to Mm. directors to make their movies worse. That sounds good. That sounds good. But it's plain Lay's potato chips. Yeah, it's just plain Lay's. Big brand, bland. Probably the only, it's po- like, the only reason anybody ever gets them is because they're going to some picnic and they don't want to get a, something that people will hate. Mm-hmm. Big, bland, for everybody and for nobody. Yep. It's kind of Feige's brand, I guess. It's a metaphor. Never the chips that you pick out for yourself when you want chips, but the chips that you get when you need to bring chips to a party and... <laughs> Not the chips that we that we that we deserve, but the ones we need right now. <laughs> yep. Oh. 
Someday we'll have to litigate Dark Knight. That's what this discussion reminds me of. Someday we will. People just have to get our Patreon to some level, mm-hmm. which is a great thing to say. Go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. Get us to 500, I think, and we'll talk about it. Awesome. So you got a little ways to go, folks, but keep chipping away at it. Chipping, chipping away at it. Get it? Because we're talking about chips. Well, what else do you guys want to say about this movie? Anything? Let's see. We've litigated Aquafina. We've litigated Hero Guy. Won't try to mispronounce his name again. We've litigated Tony Long. <clears throat> We've litigated Act Two and Act One. We haven't really talked about Act Two. Act Two is like a lot of not action and a lot of completely lame plot dump insanity. Plus Ben Kingsley doing his shtick for like an hour. Yeah, you, I guess you were not a big fan of Trevor Slattery's return, Ben. I felt cringe the whole time. Like, this is kind of a funny, clever idea, theoretically, and it's not fun the longer it goes on. Well, even it has the stench of we have to apologize for something to our yeah, woke absolutely. overlords. I'm not even sure exactly what they're apologizing for. Wasn't Iron Man 3 actually the apology? Wasn't Iron Man 3 saying we know the Mandarin's a racist character and so we're not... We're going to evoke it, but then we're going to say, actually, it's all part of Guy Pierce, the white oppressors. Yeah, it, it was already. Well, they have to apologize for the apology. They also yeah, have to apologize do. for Iron Fist. Yeah, well, they should apologize for Iron Fist. I'm with them there. Yeah. I don't know. Jake, did you have more leniency for Ben Kingsley than Ben did? Maybe Ben just doesn't like another Ben. He feels threatened by other Bens. <laughs> and the world is I, a very threatening place yes. for me. <laughs> I I would have... If I were the director, screenwriter, and I did not want to write a stupid Marvel movie with stupid Marvel jokes, but knew I needed to tip my hand to Marvel and have some Marvel-feeling moments, I feel like Ben Kingsley might have been a just fine way to do that. Like um, you have no Aquafina, or Aquafina has a good right. role to play. There's that's right. There's not a bunch no, of dumb, none of the other things. And then when when I need to tip my hand to the studio, I let Ben Kingsley be Ben Kingsley and. Everybody understands that he's not actually a part of this movie. He's just sort of like Stanley, Stanley's ghost in the background. Sure, mm-hmm. sounds great. It's too bad they didn't hire Ben <laughs> Kingsley to play Stanley's, Stanley's ghost. ghost. <laughs> <laughs> this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I would have never approved of the direction the studio was going. That would be great. And then the soul sucker <laughs> gets him. <laughs> He should, yeah, it, have, it should have CGI'd Stanley's head on all of the soul suckers. Stanley should have just played the soul sucker. He, <laughs> Stanley's right, yeah. ghost should have just come out and been like, <laughs> and peppermint dragon drags him down into the water. I liked Ben Kingsley, I think, better than you guys. I didn't think he was funny, funny, but I was fine with it. I, I like the idea, I guess. And it's, it's, it's fun to see Sir Ben Kingsley hamming it up a little bit. Yeah, he um, had some funny lines. I just, at the, at the same time that you introduced him, you're like, actually, this dungeon is a way out of. <laughs> we could go steal their cars and escape it, actually. Oh, I, I'll tell you how. I have a magical creature from the forest that knows when the forest opens, and I know all the plot dump that you need to get out of here. Oh, but cut to Tony Lung. Oh, no, they're escaping. Well, I guess I didn't see that coming. Right. You know, like what movie? Why, why They'll are change you, once I free their mother. It, mo- mo- movie give up. Right. <laughs> Bo- movie done. Right. <laughs> like, no more. <laughs> movie no more. <laughs> like, 
It's just, all right. We, we did pretend to care about storytelling. It's true, but we... We don't. We're, <laughs> just yeah. to be frank. <laughs> no, we've stopped. Well, and then Ben Kingsley gets to the village and he doesn't do anything. He's like, well, now I'm going to play dead. And like, he gets one joke. Like, they really did just need the character to bridge his, his, the exposition and then like, go good, away, go away. We don't need you anymore. His good joke was the Planet of the Apes joke. That was a good, that yeah, was a it was good a good joke. joke. Oh, yeah, that was funny. But, <clears throat> but, I, but it was trying to distract me from the fact that there's this whole goofy thing about how he knows how the forest is going to open, blah, 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 blah. So, well, he's I, just interpreting the, Morris. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Morris. Oh, Marius, you guys. My goodness. Was no it Marius? Respect no, it's for Marius. Morris. It's Marius. No, it's, it's Morris. Mary, it's Marius, the headless winged pig thing. No. <laughs> it's uh, Morris. Shang, Chi. Marius. Magical. Uh, it's clearly Marius. Shang, Chi. I thought it was nope. Morris. Mattel. M O R R I S. Morris. What? Yeah. You go buy you go uh, buy the character from Mattel. Well, it's Morris. I'm going with Ben Kingsley's interpretation of Morris, which is Marius. Pretty pretty Marius. sure. No, I, I think you just misheard it. It was clearly Morris. <laughs> <laughs> Look, guys, a funny joke. Um, <laughs> maybe I can distract you from the flaw in when I my mission. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. You win. <laughs> Okay, anything else? <laughs> Excuse me. We also don't know what the bad organization, just to continue talking about how much this movie does not give you key information that would help you feel know how to feel about things. Like, who? what is the Ten Rings organization? What do they actually do? Who have they actually assassinated? I mean, I know we, again, I know there are some lame, bad, underdeveloped answers, but the lame, bad, underdeveloped answers aren't the same thing as actual answers that actually tell you how to feel about a thing. Like, are they help propping up governments that I like, but doing it in a bad way? Are they ultimately out to take over the world completely? They just haven't done it yet. Like it's kind of like, well, yeah, yeah it's, it's not kind of like that. It's as bad. It sort of it's reminds no me answer. of Batman Begins. That was a thing that I like. So I guess I it's can sort of like the Bond stuff. It's sort <laughs> of like the sort of like Hydra. Yeah, but I but, know what Hydra wants, and I know what Bond stuff. I mean, I know you're not. You don't disagree with me, Jake. But, uh, I'm just arguing with them as they say it's like this thing, but it's not like this thing because it doesn't actually do a thing. In order for a thing to be a thing, the thing has to be a thing that does a thing. Yeah, why didn't you tell us that they were behind X, Y, and Z? You need three things to tell us what they were actually behind all along. Well, the right. problem is that as soon as you do that, why? Why didn't any other Marvel movies address this with their global confrontation of evil and their apocalyptic saving the world scenarios? And it's just... I don't know. Why didn't Nick Fury know? Yeah, basically. It's like, let's just see if we can get away with creating another all-powerful worldwide terrorist-ish sort of organization that happens to never have been mentioned in the rest of the Marvel Universe so far. Right. That's how I felt about it, is we're just trying to slip it underneath... But it's an easy problem to solve. You just have to solve either his big plan that he'd been working on for the past thousand years hasn't come to fruition yet, but there <laughs> is one, and that's one direction you could go. Or like like Ducard and Batman Begins, you just assign like we were behind the London fire of the eighteen hundreds, and you know here's two or three things that we did. Yeah, that would have been just fine. I'm okay with them winking at the fact that 
I think Marvel's always going to have the problem of, well, we're going back and retconning things, or this hero was doing this yeah. now, and so why didn't Nick... be able to wink at that, but they should actually take time to wink. Mm-hmm. Right, or, or something. Even S.H.I.E.L.D. does not know about how diabolical I am, at least given that <laughs> speech, you know? Yeah, and, oh, was it a surprise that Hydra was in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Uh-huh, we knew that. We're... The Hydra's beneath us. Like, right. that was child's play. Right. <laughs> At least give him, like, the lame that. speech like, that Christoph sure. Waltz has in Spectre, where he's, like, whatever, the, the organization that Eva Green was working for. All, all, it's like, the thing from the other James Bond movie. The thing from the James Bond movie before that. And the thing <laughs> from the James Bond movie before that. They were all me, James. Like, <laughs> at least, I mean, that movie sucks, but at least they yeah, tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ben, and it looks many, like, it really yeah. does look like from the trailer that the next James Bond movie is going to be the thing from the Bond movie before <laughs> that. <laughs> Stop it, guys. You, you could just have James Bond walk into the office and have what's Ray, Ray Fiennes be like, here's your mission. But, but they never want to do that anymore. I don't know why. Just I liked the old James Bond movies where he went, he walked into the office and he flirted with Money Penny. And then M was like, come in here, James. Another guy's trying to take over the world. I don't know why all my characters talk like that. <laughs> talk like this. But uh, I liked when James Bond was an agent who got missions. Yeah. I really, not, not everything has to be personal. The entire thing about James Bond is that it's impersonal. He's a killing machine and who works Daniel for the government. Daniel Craig's James Bond. Yeah. Well, Jan- Daniel Craig, I'm just going to say it. Daniel J- James's Craig Bond is a <laughs> pansy. He's a pansy. Uh, I, 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 Sean Connery, he just liked killing people. He just, he just liked Roger Moore. He was just having a great time killing people. That's James Bond. You don't have to like it, but that's James Bond. He's just, He's a hedonistic jerk who doesn't feel very much. But these new movies are like, oh, I don't feel very much. I wish I did. And now I do through the power of love. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I mean, it's still more of a story than Shang-Chi tried to tell. Yeah. So. Right. I don't know. Daniel Craig, you sissy. Just get over it. Go on a mission for once in your life. I, I hope at some point in this James Bond movie, Daniel Craig goes on a mission. Because Daniel Craig has, I don't think, ever actually gone on a mission in these James Bond movies. Except for maybe Casino Royale at the very beginning when he's, like, earning his bootstraps. He, he goes on a couple missions. But mm-hmm. anyway, there that one's for free, folks. Mm-hmm. What's the bad guy in this new James Bond movie? He, he's like, I am but a shadowy reflection of yourself, James. Everybody in the Daniel Craig franchise has been a shadowy reflection. Javier Bardem was a shadowy reflection of him. <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen was a shadowy reflection of him. Christoph Waltz was a shadowy. <laughs> the boring guy in Quantum of Solace was a shadowy reflection of him. I don't need any more shadowy reflections of him. I need a guy in a chair that's pushing a button to make a laser shoot. <laughs> what happened to that guy? <laughs> <laughs> give him a cat. <laughs> yeah, give him a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you yeah, can't I guess give that him was a Christoph Waltz's <laughs> yeah, character. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, and I think they even did give him a cat. But then he, he was like, I look like a guy in a chair with a cat, but actually I'm a shadowy reflection <laughs> of you. <laughs> no. Uh, I don't need any more shadowy reflections of heroes. Hey, since yeah. Shang-Chi uh, failed as being an actual good movie, can we talk about how it also failed as a Marvel movie? Yeah, let, let's. How did it yeah. fail as a Marvel movie? This is an interesting... 
uh, who so one of the things that it tried to do that was cool was exist as a movie with its own little world that was kind of independent that you could come to independently of the MCU. It just threw in a little bit of Wong and Abomination or whatever the dude's mm-hmm. name is. What's is that his name? Let's just say one Wong doesn't make a right. Pause for everyone to laugh. Let's give it a few more seconds. All right, Jake, go ahead. I don't have any idea how Shang-Chi chies, tie, chies, ties into anything in the MCU. <laughs> and I have no idea how he fits in their mid-credit scene or post-credit scene or whichever one it was. doesn't help. And I, I don't care about... I just Boom. don't care about him showing up in an Avengers movie or in a Doctor Strange or a Spider-Man movie. I don't see how he fits in that world in those worlds either. I mean, he fits in the Doctor Strange verse pretty okay. I mean, if I was going to push back on your argument, I guess that's what I'd say. That's obviously the direction they were going with Wong and everything. Sure. I guess. Um, I guess. But yeah. But it, did, did you come away? If it's going to be a Marvel, if Marvel's going to insert itself and make sure it feels Marvel-y, mm-hmm. I think that Marvel needs to go the extra step and make you excited about more Marvel properties in the process and how they all interconnect. They tried doing that by having Brie Larson show up and uh, what's his face? Mark Ruffalo show up. That was shocker. That was, Mark Ruffalo <coughs> and not Smart Hulk. Okay. But yeah, but that doesn't tell us why sh- this connects to Shang-Chi and also Brie Larson is annoying. Yep. Although she actually got her start with Daniel Cretton, Noir the Third. So, yep, that's something worth knowing, I guess. Yeah, this movie did not make me excited to see more Shang-Chi Marvel adventures. That's true. I just thought that was worth noting. I didn't come away excited about anything that's coming next or excited about going back to anything. And that's fine. I, I prefer them making trying to make a standalone movie, but I also don't want to come back to this as a standalone movie. So, Well, and also, unlike Black Panther, they feel the need to split the difference just enough. We, we got to have Ben Kingsley in there. We got to have a credits cookie thing <clears throat> with a bunch of heroes that we recognize from Avengers or Avengers adjacent things. Like they didn't have the charm of it actually just being its own thing, which Black Panther by and large did, even though it did have what's his face, the Tolkien guy, <laughs> the, the, the Tolkien white guy, as everyone was joking back at the time. Yeah. Have we adequately said how much the things that we liked? Because I think we all did really love the action. The bus scene was good. I, I will say what I, th- I will reiterate what I think one of you guys said, which is even the schlocky Marvel were shooting power beams at each other stuff was a lot better <laughs> done than I think I've seen it before. Like the final ring yeah. fight where they're basically just shooting lasers beams, out of their hands yeah. and floating around like every Marvel movie. I think it was better. It was better choreographed, and I, I liked it as a piece of cor- action choreography. Yeah, just the the dragons swirling around each other, and mm-hmm. the water dragon using the water, and all that. Yeah, stuff. Yep. It was just well designed. I was disappointed that we didn't end with an actual kung fu fight. I think yes. if I was writing this movie, I I might even have his dad be like, "I'm going to put the rings down so that we can kick each other for a while." That did occur to that's me. That's what the as... audience really wants to see. Yeah. Tell you what, I'll kick you for the rings. I mean, that's that'd be the easiest, schlockiest way of doing it. But it is weird to have a Wu Sha inspired movie that does not actually end with 
a kung fu battle. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I mean, yeah, that's what should have happened. They, they they burned it all in their first act, and they didn't. They knew that. I mean, I guess the charitable read is if we come out with a bang, then we'll have the audience for the rest of this movie. And they did. They had me for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. But even in the third act, by the third act, I was. I mean, I come to these movies to have fun and to enjoy mm-hmm. them, and to come away being the guy who said it was just a fun movie, guys. Mm-hmm. But it took me out of it. It's being so has been, as like to say, schizophrenic. But well, man, that yeah. first act promised so much. Oh, man. Well, that's the thing. It is a promise, and it's not one that they keep. Like a James Bond movie, since I was stuck on James Bond a minute ago, when they have the big opening set piece where James drives a motorcycle off of a cliff and then climbs into a plane and everything, the promise is that's just we started with that. We threw that one away. That's not even connected to the plot. Now, <laughs> what do you think we have in store for you? And this is yeah. the same thing. Like you, this. You well, start every with good that. action movie does that. Uh, and a Mission Impossible movie is going to do that. Right. It's just classic. It's just the formula. Filmmaking. Right? You yeah. come out and you have an awesome uh, grab them by the chest set piece that promises and sets up your actual awesome set piece. Yeah. If Indiana Jones already ran from a boulder, dived onto a plane, ran from natives, avoided all these traps, like, wait till you see the rest of the movie. And then we have the iconic truck chase in towards the end of Act Three. That's actually better. That's 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 action filmmaking for you. <sighs> they wanted they wanted the dragon sequence to be that clearly, but and and the thing is that you almost in a good movie with a clear dramatic structure. If he had the final fight with his dad and it had the dramatic and emotional impact they wanted it to have, you could have given me a dragon fight as your finale. I think and it so. would have felt earned. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. I still think for actual martial arts fans, they're it's sad because they're like, look, we're doing some Jackie Chan stuff. That's yeah, fun to see. Yeah, and then yeah, they're yeah. like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it feels disingenuous that the bus scene and the scaffolding scene were released early so that you could watch clips of them and stuff. So it's like, wow, if they're releasing this, I wonder what else they got. Nothing. And the answer is nothing. <laughs> Yep. And Marvel does that sort of thing all the time. Yeah. They they do they just I, I hate Marvel advertising. They never hold anything back. It's always like, well, here's the three <laughs> reasons you should see the movie. And the implicit promise is that there's actually five reasons, but they held two of them back, but they never do. It's always like, here's Iron Man rescuing all the people who are falling out of the plane. Here's most of the scene. Marvel just always does that. The only time they didn't do it was the end game things. And those movies were fun because you had to Actually, wait to see which heroes were going. No, you didn't. You saw which heroes came back, but you didn't see portal. They didn't give away portals. I guess that's all I'm saying. <sighs> all right, Ben. How many bamboo sticks out of a thousand do you give to Shang Chi? Oh man, I give it like three hundred. Three hundred bamboo sticks out of a thousand. Yeah, I think so. Okay, Jake. How many bamboo sticks out of a thousand? Four hundred. Four hundred. Wow, so do I want to prices right this? Do I want to, after all this, be the most positive? Da, da, da. You guys pretty da, da, pretty da, da, negative, da, da. ultimately. I mean, those are those are some bad scores. That's not a lot of bamboo sticks. Come on down, Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I mean, I'll give um, a thousand bamboo sticks to Tony Lung's eyes. 
Sure. If we're going to break it down, we can cool. give the choreography and Tony Lung mm-hmm. a thousand points. Yep. Definitely. We but can give Simu Liu's potential 800 points. Yep. If if you just took, here's a, here's a question. If you just took mm, the entire flashback backstory as its own mini movie or something, well, no, you can't. But the flashback mini movie stuff is, I can't think of parts of it that aren't high quality. Right. That aren't gripping, at least, that don't seem to be telling a coherent story. Yeah. That stuff is all pretty cool. Yeah. I, 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 when I Woo and the Ten Rings. Great movie. When Woo, when Woo and the Ten Rings, even the stuff with the sister, when she's like afraid and, and young. Yeah. That stuff's all, all good. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love a good heroic bloodshed movie, oh, a good gangster revenge from that style type part of the world store. Like all that stuff was good. Yeah. It's, it's nice to feel things in movies. <laughs> and those parts were the parts that made you feel things. You felt some romance when they were doing their corny, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, Kung Fu fight that mm-hmm. had a little bit of arrows in it, which is such a, a lame trope from that side of the world, but it works. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, when mom died, you felt something. And then when dad took his revenge and mm-hmm. made little brother watch it was you felt something there too and the training stuff the creepy guy with the mask yeah man it's like oh boy they're gonna pay this off because really where the movie stops being a good movie is at the end of that scaffolding fight scene when, yeah, he, fights, like a, when he fights the guy with the mask when Tony Long shows and he's up. about to just kill him yeah, yeah. It, that stuff flashes through his mind and you're like and he's like okay done I'm not holding this back I hate you I'm right. gonna kill you and then his dad stops him mm. now that and then they have the moment where they have the headbutt. All of that son. is awesome. All and you're like, great. man, this movie is making me lots of promises. It even it even basically said, actually, Shang Chi is a nasty killer. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's going. But then it's like, no, actually, no, no, that's true. Yep. Oh, oh and by and oh, and that, that mask Oh yeah, he's kind of a bad guy. Oh, we'll have him be the first one to get eaten by a soul sucker. <laughs> That'll be a satisfying <laughs> conclusion to <laughs> the story of Mask <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought this character had some personal meaning to Shang Chi, and that's why we cared about. But apparently, apparently not, not. So <laughs> he's just well, the butt of a joke. The butt of a joke. They. So my wife likes to watch these movies and she likes to call them and she's just like your standard Marvel audience member, right? Right. And so she was like, what's with this mask guy? And she spent half the movie whispering like, I think the mask guy is his mom. Or I That yeah. flashed through my mind and I, was, and I rejected it because I was like, that would be too Come stupid. Come on, it's Marvel. <laughs> yeah. It, but it is the kind of thing where you're like, it's someone Yeah, important. if you're telling a story with like pet up, say ops, pet payoffs and setups and things, then <laughs> yeah. obviously Mask Guy was like something, is somebody, but no, <laughs> Mask Guy is nobody. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, Mask Guy could have been Michelle Yeoh. I mean, we could sit here and we could come up with somebody that Mask, Mask Guy. Mask Guy could have just been a nasty older assassin who gets unmasked and has something to say about we all pay the price, Shang-Chi, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You right. just give me something. He's a uh, Clive Owen uh, from Bourne. Look at what they make us. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Or anything. Something like a character, like, but not negative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like take it all away from me. Well, yeah. and you can do that too. There's a way to set that up where it's like, we are intentionally making this guy seem really important. And then ha ha, he got his soul set. You you can actually do that in a non sloppy, non lazy way. Could. 
where the movie yeah. is trying to communicate something uh. for a joke or for a whatever. A great example of that, a moment that I love is Kong Skull Island, the great Kong Skull Island, where some guy goes to do the heroic sacrifice. He's got like his grenade belt and he's running up to the monster and then whoever the monster is just swats him with his tail and he goes flying into a mountain and blows up far in the background. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really nihilistic and pretty funny for a monster. Like you can do things like that, but you know the movie's being nihilistic. You know it's being funny. You know it's making fun of the trope of the heroic sacrifice. There's ways to do that. But this movie is just like, eh, here's some more things that could happen. Some things happened over there. Now some things are happening over here. I will give it, so Ben, you gave it 300 bamboo sticks and Jake gave it four. Yeah. I'll give it 350 All right. bamboo sticks. I'll split the difference. You you have brought balance to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's... We're going to get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shang-Chi. What a movie. Shang-Chi. Sh- I think sorry. you meant to say. I've probably been racistly mangling things this whole time. Although I think Tony Leung is actually correct. I think it is actually his two syllables, but I could be crazy about that. <sighs> okay. Okay. Patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies is the place to go. Get us up, up, up so that we can talk, talk, talk about Tim Burton, about Richard Donner, about the hero's journey through Spider-Man. So many fun things we could, we want to be able to give more history and more context and stuff as we get to these kinds of discussions and uh, it's just be fun conversations to have. So Patreon.com plus you can hear Clone Wars reviews. There's just so many good things that can happen on that 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 Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash sanity theater movies. Go there. Sign up today. Little as five dollars a month. Support this podcast. All right. Until next time. Uh, if you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. Oh boy. I feel almost insulted on the movie's behalf. <laughs> the movie deserves it. But man. You know what? It actually describes the movie. Welcome to the circus. This is what got pulled onto the IMBD quotes page? No. I don't know. Isn't there like Aquafina? Doesn't she have a line? Or does she just goes, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> You're we the make product a good team. of all that came before you, Marvel. <laughs> we make a good team. Is that what Aquafina says? To the to the garbage truck driver. It's actually a funny moment. Oh, yeah, that was It's funny. actually legitimately like a good joke. Yeah, no. Once Aquafina tagged <laughs> along on the adventure, that's when she really got on my nerves because she's mm-hmm. just like, I'm slouching and I I have these ugly pants and I hate myself. Hey. <laughs> and I'm like, why? This isn't helping. All right. Well, goodbye, folks. Until she's, next time. She's a driver. She's a driver? Welcome to the circus. Oh, yeah, she's a good driver. Why didn't she use her driving skills at the end? She, did. she could have been on the, on the dragon. She, she could have been like skills. They would never have gotten through the maze if it wasn't for her awesome driving skills. Well, they should have attached a wheel to Peppermint Dragon and she should have driven it. That's what should have happened. Then she would have had a thing that she set up. Or Peppermint Dragon should have eaten her and she should have went, ah! <laughs> and then Until a next time. lame, like, pair of sweatpants or whatever could (laughs) come flying out (laughs) and the audience could clap (laughs) until next time calm down it's called acting i'm not dead
or whatever the line is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) good enough. All right, I'm hitting stop on this podcast. I gave you like three of them. Uh, They're probably the best lines of the whole movie. The podcast has just been a bunch of things. (laughs) We're, We're actually doing a meta commentary on the movie. Our ending is just like a bunch of random stuff. Some of it feels meaningful. Most of it's not. Okay, goodbye.